it's a spooky day in july <laughs> somewhere in the year somewhere in the year spooky time is here we're closer and closer to halloween absolutely so much so that i have been shopping for my new halloween decorations <laughs> already you gotta go you gotta be ahead of the game or else you're gonna be unprepared when the time comes plus you can get discount halloween decorations right now you're yes, on yes you it. can uh this is two girls one ghost two girls one ghost and we are your ghostesses that's corinne hey and i'm sabrina we were in nashville last weekend so freaking fun yeah oh my gosh i i mean i was exhausted afterwards but like it, and i have gnarly bruises from that bull riding on saturday night i'm very proud i don't which something's wrong with me it must have been because of the way i rode the bull but i'm surprised i don't because like you have bruises when marissa and kelly had ridden the bull like the week before they had bruises i was shocked that i did because it's like when you're riding it you don't feel like you're getting hit it's like two seconds that's like so in college there was a group of us that went and we did a pole dancing class oh my god mad respect for anyone that can do pole dancing we had maybe in total you maybe had a total of 60 seconds actually on the pole because like each person you'd be showed how to do something and then you'd go up and you'd practice this one move for like 20 seconds or something and then the next person would come up and practice that move so you didn't really have much time on the pole at all right throughout the whole class but then the next day my whole legs were bruised i could hardly walk i was so so sore i I mean yeah it takes incredible talent and the core strength and upper body strength you need to have to do that is unreal oh my god i literally looked up the other day pole dancing classes in boston but there aren't any near me so we talked about my mom in nashville but when i was in high school she got me like or maybe it was before i was going to college she bought me like workout videos and one of the ones she bought me was like strip tease workout you and your mom have the most (laughs) hilarious relationship i don't even know (laughs) if my mom understood what she was giving to me she probably didn't or she thought it was really funny and thought you would say something about it I probably she did. She was trying to prank you. Oh, she's so she's something. Love Honestly, her. Honestly though, that's probably a good workout. You should try it. <laughs> I think I've looked at it. She also gave me one that like like I started watching it and it was like, I know a lot of you just had babies out there. And I was like, Mom, <laughs> like, this is not for me. You can re gift the strip tease. That's a good like white elephant. That's true. Gift. That's true. I may have given it to Goodwill. Shoot. Well that made someone stay in Goodwill. <laughs> If I worked there, I'd be like, this one's for me. Not going to put this out on the floor. Now I know what to get you for your birthday. I'm just going to oh, get thanks. you a whole array of strip cheese workouts. Except now computers don't have the freaking CD, DVD I know. That's thing. the most heartbreaking thing. I have these workout videos that I absolutely love and I used to do all the time. Ballet Beautiful. Oh, oh my gosh. So intense. It's this ballerina and Mary Helen and she takes you through these workouts and it just seems she goes so fast so you think that they're like simple i'm like oh i'm gonna do the floor routine because i don't want to sit up right now i'm feeling lazy and then you're like sweating your ass off on the floor but i haven't been able to do it because i've been too lazy to buy one of those extender things the dvd Mm, extenders yeah yeah so here i am just living my chubby life (laughs) that's the reason you don't work out that's the reason it's all because my computer didn't come with a dvd (laughs) it is though it is interesting though because I feel like there's a weird sense of nostalgia with it, but also, like, I love the physical book. 
And yes, sometimes I'll read on my Kindle, but I just love a physical book. And there's something about having a physical DVD, putting it in the CD-ROM and having a... That like noise it makes when it goes spinning in there. It gets all hot and you take it out and it burns your fingers a little bit. Yeah. Did you ever... Did you ever hear like when it would skip on, on the TV, you'd take it out and you'd put it in the toilet and flush. And so they would clean it. What? You never did no. that? Who told you to do that? So many people. And it actually worked. What? I've never ever stuck my dvd in the toilet <laughs> <laughs> i would blow on it like a vhs and you know like rub it with my shirt did that work yeah well probably not as well as flushing it in the toilet <laughs> <laughs> it was the perfect shape so it would flush and it would land like at the bottom like still straight and then you take it out and you dry it and then you put it in but anyway nashville was super fun and we so many of the people that went also bought the uh, meet and greet tickets so we got to meet so oh many God. people and it was amazing it was so fun and we got some cool things from people yes everything was so nice and allison and morgan from ohio came from ohio they uh, one of them was a flight attendant remember so they gave us the airplane survival kit uh yeah i already went through all of the stuff and used everything that they gave us but i kept the little tag me too it's cute but it was amazing because i well you know that's crammed, but on my flight from LA to Nashville, I had a screaming demonic child the mm-hmm. entire four hours, just screaming. So I didn't sleep at so all. So you needed this on the way back. Can yeah. I read the tag? Yes. I just love it so much. I want to read it. Yeah. It says, welcome aboard Ghostly Airlines. Please place all crystals and favorite things in the overhead compartment or under the seat in front of you. Make sure to fasten your seatbelt as well as the seatbelt of any stowaway spirits accompanying you. Prior to takeoff, we will be coming through the cabin with Sage. Thank you and enjoy your flight. I didn't see that part until just now. I what? Only saw the you other didn't part. flip the tag over? No. Because on the other side, it says airplane overnight survival kit. And because uh, Allison and Morgan are flight attendants. So oh. they listed all the stuff. And it's like the Biscoff cookies and the pretzels. Like, it was so great. And we tried to see them at the airport on Monday morning, but we didn't because they left a little bit before us. No, we didn't. And then we also, well, we met so many people and people kept handing us stuff, but uh, there were these two women from Chattanooga, Mm -hmm. but they gave us these like beautiful wooden postcards from Chattanooga. So gorgeous. And then to counteract the beauty of the postcards, (laughs) they also gave us these magnets that says, my friend went to Chattanooga and all I got was this shitty magnet. (laughs) And it's tie-dye and fun. It's so fun. And then, oh my gosh, they wanted our signatures and I I panicked. Yeah, we both looked at each other and we're like, what do we write? How do we do it? Do we print? I reverted back to my like sixth grade just practicing how to sign my name. I signed something that I've never signed ever in my life. <laughs> oh, and then we got, there was another woman who came by. Oh my gosh, she was so cute. She was dressed. I I'm so jealous of the way she was dressed. Oh, I know. She was so Remember, cool. she was, it was like so spooky and like witchy and I loved it. Trendy. But she went to this store in Nashville and in the store there was a sign that said, see you on the other side. So yes. she bought it for us. Yes. And she also gave us something from the Bell Witch Cave. Yeah. I, we got really scared at the moment <laughs> and Sabrina was like, I'm not taking it. So I took it and I was like, oh, I'll send the flower back to the Bell Witch Cave. And guess who didn't send it back? Have you had anything? <laughs> I don't know. It's doing fine in here. Okay. Well, maybe, I'm undecided. Maybe it's a blessed gift. I've been given really positive vibes. Like, welcome to Boston. I hope you have a great stay. 
Don't you live in Boston? Yeah, but I'm talking to the flower. Oh, oh, I was like, the flower is telling you this? No. <laughs> if the flower started talking to me, Sabrina, I would send it back. 100%. <laughs> no way. Oh, good. Oh, and then should we do mail time? Mail time, oh, yeah. mail time. I have no idea what we have in the mail, so I, this is for me. Oh, because I didn't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> tell me. Well, you do know one thing because we got, and I brought it out to you, but Moon, Moon Child City, Marissa, from that Etsy shop, she sent us a letter, and then she had also sent us dream catchers, right, which yeah. are, have these like beautiful rocks on them. And then also we got another letter from, let me see, let me unwrap it. I think it's Emma. Oh my God, what? Where is it's handwritten. Oh yeah, Emma. Sending you guys love and light, Emma. Yeah, she's from like the Denver area, and she didn't have any ghost stories, but she sent us this like two-page, beautifully handwritten note. Uh, about just like how much she likes the podcast <laughs> giving us some praise wow that's really and nice. she drew a little cat on the envelope oh my gosh emma you get me and then also when we were i don't think we talked about this but when we met uh michelle who we've been following on instagram she's desert and vine and she does just like beautiful hand lettering yeah. and drawings and we met her at the boston show and she gave us these when in doubt sage it out things and i'm I'm going to frame it, like, 100%, and not today, Satan. Yeah. She also, we've posted stuff of hers, reposted stuff of hers on our Instagram. I haven't showed mm-hmm. you this, but here, Corinne, I'm going to turn you around real quick to show you my TGOG wall. <gasps> Sabrina! I haven't seen that. Oh, my gosh, you started a little mural. Yeah, it has basically everything you just talked about up on the wall. Yeah. And then there's a photo of me and my cat when, from when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, I have, like, a full collection of TGOG stuff. I even have, like, the protection spray on my desk here. Oh, yeah, that's sitting on my nightstand because in emergency situations, I must spray the air in front of me. <laughs> Gotta be safe. It's part of my, when I talk about my weapons are all within arm's reach, that is one of them. <laughs> I had a full discussion about you the other day, actually yesterday, about weapons and protection, and what we would do if uh, an intruder came in the house. And I said, like, how you have weapons right next to your bed. And they were like, well, what if, like, they know how to use it better than you? It's like, well, if they're trying to kill you, you better have something. At least give yourself, like, a chance. Yeah, give yourself a chance. Someone the other day was like, what is, what's one of your weapons? Like, what do you have? And I was like, well, I mean, I call them all weapons, but, like, literally one of them is when I was in, (laughs) took an art class. And it was like a little sculptor thing. It's literally an art tool. <laughs> but I was like, this is kind of pokey and sharp. Yeah. It fits nicely in my drawer. Maybe, I'll keep it there. Maybe I'll just put a pencil under my bed because then that's safe for me. And then and then everyone will panic that they'll get lead poisoning when the lead goes in. Remember? Gotcha. Oh, I hated when those kids in middle school would take the pencil and they'd sharpen the point and put it into their hand as hard as they could before it like went oh. in. I wouldn't do that, but I like to poke the sharp end on my on my leg if I'm wearing jeans. Ugh. Yeah, if you're wearing jeans, but not on your bare skin. And then it, like, starts to poke through, and you just feel it, and then you pull it out. But, okay, back to Nashville. It was so much fun, and we're so excited because we have another live show in New York. And June so, 14th. Yeah, so. No, I mean, July 14th. July, yeah, July 14th. June is in the past. <laughs> June is in the past. July. Uh, remember June, R.I.P., miss her. Remember June. <laughs> But yeah, come to our live show in New York, and we are going to make it fun and spooky. We're still picking a topic, but we're going to find something real fun. 
really fun. Really fun. You can get tickets on um, our website, or there's also a link to it on our Instagram bio. I have no idea who's first. I'll go. Okay. Well, should we say what we're talking about? No, why don't, why don't we just do it and then have people figure it out? Because we have stuff to talk about it before we talk about our specific things. Okay, fine. We're doing... <laughs> Sabrina? Types of communication with the other side. Yes. Methods, methods of, of communicating with ghosts, spirits, souls. Or demons. I'm kidding. I didn't, demons. Do, I didn't do anything about that because I don't want to fuck with that. I feel like this goes actually really well with the spirit guide episode we did, we did a little while back. It does. It ties into a lot of things. As I was writing, I was like, I feel like this relates to some of the things we have either talked about or are planning to talk about. Mm-hmm. And also Ouija boards and the scary things we've talked about in the past. And like, because I feel like with any form of communication with the other side, it can be used for good. And then also it can be manipulated and the bad things can come through. Mm-hmm. And try to be like, hey, I'm a really good guy. I'm nice. I'm a good, good guy. I'm a bad sneaky, guy. Sneaky <laughs> okay, because we were doing the research for this and I was like, wow, I have none of these abilities. Which it kind of, I think, is nice for me. But you you have more of them. Like, you're, you have a little bit more clairvoyance, right? I suppose. And then your mom's clairaudient. Yes, she is. Much more so than me. Sometimes I'll hear things, but there have been instances where I'll see something at the same time that she hears something, right. and I won't hear anything, and she won't see anything. We both get different sides of things. Right, which is interesting. And then I've had a few little premonition thingies. I've had those, but but again, like everything I have is in my dreams or in my sleep. Like I've only yeah. had one or two real physical awake experiences. Interesting. Well... This is good because I did include some dreams in my story. Wait, okay. There are two things that I had no idea were things. There's like clairgustance, which is the ability to taste beyond the physical realm. What? Have you ever heard of that? Isn't that crazy? Like taste what? Like the food that they have? I don't know. What do they have? I didn't look that much into it. but Do you taste energies? Do you know colors? What is... I have questions. Uh, Me too. Because also like how do you know it's not something that's a new taste? And how do you differentiate that taste versus like a, I wonder if it's like, you know how you can smell things and you can like, you smell someone's rose perfume. Mm -hmm. I wonder if it's like through the air, you taste something like the same way you would smell something. Interesting. I don't know. Yeah. Like when you, like, for example, when my mom's grandmother will visit her, Mm -hmm. the room will be like filled with a smell of the powder that she used to use. And so I wonder if that, instead of smelling it, it would be like people when they're visited or when they feel something or come in contact with something, they taste it instead. Yeah, like what if it's like, like you an taste old... the whiskey suddenly oh. or the cigar. I was thinking like it's an old lover and you just take taste their saliva. <laughs> You're dirty, Sabrina. You're just... dipping your CDs in the toilet and now you're <laughs> tasting dead people's saliva. <laughs> I'm just... Trying to make sense of this world. <laughs> we all do it very differently. <laughs> what was the other thing that you didn't know what it was? Oh, it was the ability to smell. But I, the smell one makes more sense to me. This is what's so interesting is there's no one cut and paste version of anything. It's not just like, oh, you're only this or you're only that 
or like if you see spirits, this is like the one model. It's there's so many different things. People can be a mix of both. Mm -hmm. They can be three things, four things, have so many different experiences. Like you can dream. And apparently you can also practice and try to develop things. All right. So I did kind of like a little twist on the topic because Mm -hmm. I feel like often when we think about communicating with spirits, we think about communicating with the dead. But I was like, well, what about communicating like with the living? What about communicating with ourselves? Oh. What about communicating with our own souls? What about Ooh. past life regression? Okay. Which probably isn't a huge surprise if anyone's listened to previous episodes. Many I lives, reference, many masters. Yeah, many lives, many masters by Brian Weiss. So I'm going to talk about past life regression therapy and Brian Weiss. <laughs> Great. I'm excited. You still have to read the book, though, because I didn't include I was just going to ask if that I, gets yeah. me off the hook. I didn't want to include much because I still want people to read the book. Okay, I want to read, but I just – I don't have time. Not, not bad enough. <laughs> <laughs> you tell me a lot about it. That's all I need. No, I want to read okay. it. I will. All right. So Dr. Brian Weiss mistakenly happened upon this practice – past life regression therapy when he was trying to treat a patient who had many different phobias and this is the patient that's covered in the book many lives many masters and he has he has other books after that as well Mm -hmm. plenty of books but this is the one that i was most interested in um and brian who was a traditional psychotherapist he had studied at both columbia university and yale medical school and he went to nyu medical center for two-year residency in Uh psychiatry and he became head of psychiatry and now chairman at Mount Sinai Medical Center in Miami. So he's a very reputable guy. Wow. Okay. So he was a little bit frustrated when he met this patient who he calls Catherine in the book. I don't believe that that's her real name. Um, uh-huh. But he was frustrated because she was like crippled with anxiety and recurring nightmares and getting anxiety attacks all because of these certain phobias that she had. She had a ton of different phobias and they couldn't figure out where exactly they came from and none of his traditional therapeutic techniques were working. So Dr. Weiss, I should probably call him Dr. Weiss instead of calling him Brian. (laughs) Brian, like (laughs) First name basis. Dr. Weiss decided to do something that he was a bit skeptical about. He decided to try hypnosis. And at first he thought that it was just going to like, you know, be Catherine underneath like under the hypnosis maybe going back into some previous suppressed childhood memories or something mm-hmm. like that but instead to his shock and to maybe his horror Catherine skips past her current life and taps into her past lives and she recounts all of these different journeys and the horrors that her spirit went through that now manifest in her current life as all of these different phobias whoa And not only that, she brought with her information to Dr. Weiss about his own family and family members who had passed away. Chills. So as if he couldn't write, like it's, he can't even not believe anymore once this happens. And he had been completely agnostic before. He didn't believe in God. He didn't believe in anything like that. He didn't really even believe in souls, but he was completely changed when Catherine, this patient, suddenly started talking about his life. He said that the room turned out icy cold and Catherine in her hypnotic state was in between lives for that moment she was in whatever place the soul kind of like goes into 
uh, maybe like an astral projection type of thing. Mm -hmm. But she announced that Dr. Weiss's father and son were there in the room. And Dr. Weiss was taken aback because, number one, how could she have known that both his father and his son were dead? This was like before the internet. You could not look people up. You couldn't learn their background. He didn't even have his diplomas hanging in the room. So there was no way she could have known anything about his personal life. It was nowhere. It was recorded nowhere. She couldn't have looked it up anywhere. And so he sits quietly and he listens as Catherine says that his daughter is named after his father, which was true. And that his father died of heart failure. And then she goes into all of these medical details about his father's death, which are all true. And if that weren't enough to turn Dr. Weiss into a believer, Catherine then says that his son is there and that his son is very, very tiny and he's shining brightly and his heart is turned around. And then she starts describing all these medical details about his heart. And it's exactly what had happened to Dr. Weiss's first child, his oh. son, who died at 23 days old from congenital heart disease. Oh, my gosh. Poor buddy. Yes. Wow. So... Dr. Weiss, who was a man of science and reason and a huge skeptic with anything in the spiritual world, started to understand there's more than we can just see right in front of us. I'm glad that you're telling the background of him because sometimes you hear stories and you're like, oh, they always believed in all of this stuff. But no, he was transformed after an experience. Yes, 100%. And too, if you look at all of his credentials, he doesn't seem like the stereotypical person, maybe the the mold of someone who is interested in that right but he became interested in that now he's written a ton of books and had so much research on it so it's amazing and there are many other people like him too other Mm -hmm. uh professionals and just ordinary people who have these experiences but okay so he treated Catherine. this was his first patient who he experienced this with back in 1980 and since then dr weiss has seen over four thousand patients for past life regression therapy and he has gone to do a ton of research in reincarnation past life regression future life progression and the survival of the human soul once we pass on whoa he runs seminars and he promotes past life regression therapy as a means of treating phobias Uh, As he's found that acknowledging what's happened in past lives can cure the soul in the present life. So the point of going back into your previous lives is to understand, well, oh, I have a fear of water. Why am I so terrified of water? And then going into your past life and realizing, oh, you drown or something happened that is so triggering. And to just know and recognize it lets your soul let go of it and be at peace in your current life. Well, I told you about Marina, right? Like she, I, I definitely said on the podcast where she was at a doctor's appointment for her hip. And a woman said, sweetie, you need to let go of that pain. It's not from this life. Yeah, that's so wild. She basically learned that like in a past life, she was in a carriage and it flipped and it landed on her hip. And so she's had horrible hip pain for no reason in this life. Constantly. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. It's just so wild to think that. And also that people can pick up on it. You know, that people are so in tune with the spiritual world that someone can say like, oh, I know that this is from that or this about you. It's unbelievable. I wonder if my back pain is from a past life or if it's just because I'm becoming an old lady very rapidly. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I just like the idea. Now I'm remembering. So we're believers in reincarnation. We've talked about it before. I've had some experiences like in my life 
many of which were in my first like four years of life Mm -hmm. that have made me believe in reincarnation and sabrina you're a big fan of traveling souls and matching birthmarks and stuff like Mm -hmm. that and my dad has had past lives that he's had i've talked about this on the podcast too but he's had his past life regression hypnosis before right and yeah so i totally believe and he speaks in another language he's something he's literally dr weiss i think would like to meet your father he should write a whole book about my father okay but i was curious oh yeah (laughs) but i was kind of curious about who else believed in reincarnation maybe before today (laughs) so people of history um and a few of them were benjamin franklin thomas edison henry ford is that cool that is cool all right so dr weiss believes that fears and phobias can be treated through past life regression and that your fears in this life are triggered by your past including your previous lives so anything that that's happened in your current life like in childhood or whatever and then also what's happened in your previous life and if you can connect these fears to a past life if you can recognize them often these fears and extreme phobias will disappear from the person so of course this is super interesting and it catches the attention of dr oz and oprah so (laughs) i didn't know this yeah so in 2008 dr oz brings i guess doc dr weiss onto the oprah show so two big household television names are suddenly interested in brian weiss dr brian weiss and so of course he goes onto the show and i think he's talked multiple times with oprah and on on the show he's talking about past life regression and some of the the they have like certain specials on like little segments on people that he has treated some of his clients um and one of the clients is a woman named jody and Jody was absolutely terrified of dolls. And it was super difficult for her to even look at dolls. Like dolls would, f- I mean, dolls freak a They're lot scary. of out. Yeah, they can yeah. be scary. But this was much more extreme. Like she, she, she was saying that she hadn't convinced herself that they would come to life or anything or that they would harm her. Like that wasn't a part of the fear. She couldn't really pinpoint exactly what it was. Mm-hmm. She was just absolutely terrified. She had no explanation why. But she remembers a few instances where her fear of dolls really got in the way of her everyday life. And in one st- such instance, it was when she was little and she was forced to hold a doll while taking a picture with Santa. And she remembers that her young little self was just like, desperately trying to smile when she was actually screaming with fear inside and then in another instance when she was an adult after she had children she went to go pick up her daughter from daycare and when she arrived her daughter to jody's horror was holding a doll and instead of being able to go up and like greet her young daughter and pick her up and be excited to see her, Jody was paralyzed with fear and she had a knot in her stomach and her whole body body started to shake and she was tearing up. Oh. So it's a very extreme phobia. Yeah. So Dr. Weiss meets with her and he puts her under hypnosis. During his sessions, he'll first bring patients through their current lives, like through their earliest memories and their childhood, and then he'll open the door to the past lives. And in Jody's case, she saw her grandfather who had passed away 20 years prior and she was explaining what she was seeing to Dr. Weiss when suddenly she says, died too soon. I see an accident scene. Car. And Dr. Weiss asks, was there anyone in the car with you? Who did you leave? Who was in the car? And she said, my babies. And it feels so real. (sighs) 
and then I'm kind of gone, and then I'm with Papa. And then Jody's explaining in her vision that they've now moved to the emergency room where she sees two young children crying, and she knows that she's dead. So she's super concerned for the two babies that she left behind. She's not able to protect them. And the fear of not being able to protect her children was carried over from her past life to her present one. And dolls were just a metaphor. It was just like the vice. It was what she put this fear onto. The subject chosen to represent this fear and being unable to protect them. So many chills. What? Yeah. Me too. It's just so wild. So devastating. Yeah. And then, so once she realized this through past life regression, when she recognized the fear of dolls and what happened in her previous life, the next time she saw a doll, instead of breaking down and wanting to run and crying, her mind just, like, brought her to the place of being with her grandfather and having that, like, love and light surrounding him and seeing him again. Wow. Yeah. So Dr. Oz, after hearing about Jody's case, proposed that there are three ways in which someone could react to hearing about past life regression success stories. This might be for some of the skeptics. Mm. So he said that they will either, one, be skeptical and believe Jody just wanted it to work out. So it did. It's the placebo effect. Or number two, the person is tapping into a collective unconscious. Or number three, that we don't know everything about physics and there could be another dimension that suddenly slipped into which we identify as a spiritual vision or a reincarnation. Mm. Which is so interesting. I totally believe in past life regression, but I there's this fear I have of, is it possible that during this time, that during a hypnotic state, are you opening yourself to be taken over by another spirit? You know, like, is there a chance it's not you? Yeah. Well, there has been some debate. There were, like, a couple of cases where people were like, is this actually a possession right. case? But, and I don't think I mean, I don't have are. the answer. I don't know. And I, I think, I mean, I totally believe in past lives. So I think there definitely are, it works. But I think, like, if I were a demonic spirit, the same with astral projection. Like, they say, like, when you leave your body, it's really dangerous because darker spirits can come and take over you. And so if I'm a dark spirit right. and I'm like, oh, this lady is going to do past life regression, let me slip right on in there. I wonder if it actually is sort of astral projection or if it's just you're just looking inward on yourself. And so right. you're not actually opening up anything because you're only within yourself. I have, I'm not the right person to ask about this. It's just an interesting Read Dr. Weiss's many, many books. (laughs) Maybe you'll get the answer there. I'll just email him. Yeah. Okay, so I thought it was interesting that people were like, oh, it could be the placebo effect. It's some planted memory, blah, 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 which I was like, that makes sense. Placebo effect for sure is a real thing. But then it doesn't explain xenoglossy. What's that? Xenoglossy is when people are suddenly able to speak fluently speak languages that they are unable to speak prior oh during and underneath hypnosis so only when they're in their past life regression do they have this like ability or somehow tap into it that they can suddenly speak a different language and dr weiss has come in contact with this and he was treating a chinese surgeon who didn't speak a lick of english like didn't even really say hello like just pretty much no english at all And the woman brought her translator along to translate everything Brian said into Chinese. And then, of course, 
the chi- the translator was translating all of the woman's Chinese into English for Dr. Weiss. So the interpreter is, you know, interpreting. <laughs> As they do. As they do. And this woman is in her past life that she lived in 1850, and she's in Northern California. And she's remembering an argument that she had with her husband, and she begins to get angry. She's reliving this argument, and she's getting really heated. And suddenly, she's speaking very fluently in English. Oh. Swears, the insults, all of it. And the translator is getting really confused, and then he starts to translate everything into Chinese. But then <laughs> Dr. Weiss is like, oh, no, I get the English. I don't need help with the English. And then Dr. Weiss said the translator just looked at him and looked like he was about to faint. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I would have loved to be in that room. Yeah, just so shocked. And these things happen. I mean, it's not often, but they do. And so another example is the case of Dolores J. She was married to a man, Carol J., who was a Methodist Christian minister who had learned and was practicing some hypnosis techniques. And in 1970, Dolores complained of back pain, and Carol put her under hypnosis to try to relieve the pain. And he asked, does your back hurt? And in German, a language she never knew, Dolores responded, Nine. Then, a few days later, in another session, she said, Ich bin Gretchen, which means I am Gretchen. Oh. So, a past life started to appear. This is the case where some people were like, it might have been possession, but there is evidence that suggests it was past life. And so, Dolores was a Christian, and she didn't believe in reincarnation, and her husband was, like, very terrified that she would speak in another language that she never knew. But they continued the sessions, and over the next few months, they continued to go through hypnosis, and Dolores began to favor speaking and answering in German more and more until she was no longer replying in English at all. That scares me. And then there were a total of 10 sessions where this happened before Carol, her husband, eventually invited a native German speaker to the session to kind of, like, test and see what was going on. Mm -hmm. And in the session, Dolores and the German men carried on an entire conversation in German. And Dolores even wrote on occasion, she wrote a total of 40 German words. And not only that, but the handwriting was different. It was Gretchen's handwriting, not Dolores's handwriting. Oh my gosh. See, this is what scares me because even in my dad's past life regression, he was saying that his past life is trying to come out. And that's why when he's asleep, he speaks a different language. And it's like past life is actually a really shitty guy who killed people and is like trying to come out. I freaking hope your dad doesn't get possessed by his own self and then becomes a murderer. (laughs) Me neither, Corinne. (laughs) Though it would provide some inspiration for your television writing. You would be the person that you're writing the show about. Yeah, I don't I don't want to experience that for myself. Dad's past life, stay in the past. But yeah, I just I that scares me cuz it's like like think about if you die too early and you're reincarnated and you're given the opportunity to come out through this n- new life, wouldn't you want to continue living your life instead of being pushed back? I don't know because I kind of believe In it, in a way where like each life is meant to, you're meant to experience things and make mistakes and learn from things. And I don't think it's, I don't think it would be a proper learning if your past life just took over because they already had their shot. It wouldn't be proper, but if it's a bad life and it get, if you give it strength and the ability to talk and come out, could it eventually take over? 
that's what's confusing because I, th- I would think that your soul's progressing and that your soul would be strong enough to say like or learn from that previous life and collect what you needed and move on and not let whatever is trying to it's weird to the thought that you could be possessed by your own self i know creepy that was really creepy (laughs) okay but anyway so dolores slash gretchen she dolores when she was awake and not under hypnosis she knew absolutely no german it was gibberish but under hypnosis she was completely fluent and so Ian Stevenson, who was a professor of psychiatry at the University of Virginia, he got wind of this case and he asked to come see it and study it for himself. So he invited many German speakers to come with him and everyone was able to converse with Dolores or Gretchen. Yeah. So Dr. Stevenson is like, whoa, we need to look into this more. And he brought her to the laboratory at the University of Virginia and they had 19 different sessions with her and they recorded six of these sessions. <gasps> Wait, can I can, – are they on YouTube? Can I listen to them? Maybe. I didn't look because it kind of freaks me out. <laughs> uh, that kind of scares me. Yeah. Uh, but the transcripts totaled to 346 typewritten pages and then there's so much German in it. And she was conversing with people. She could understand what was being said to her in German, which means that she was completely fluent and that she was exhibiting responsive xenoglossy. Wow. And in the tests, Stevenson found that the past life coming through, Gretchen, spoke a total of 237 different German words. And she used 120 specific words before anyone else used them. So it's not like she was just repeating what was previously said right. to her. She initiated them. Yes. And he was still a bit unsure, so he went and, like, took extra precautions and sent her through a bunch of other tests as well um, just to make sure that she didn't somehow learn German in her normal life and was fabricating this whole story. So he even went as far as to have her give her a polygraph test, and he interviewed people around her, his her parents, her sister – and everyone's like, we have no explanation for this. This is insane. Also, do you know how hard it is to learn a language that quickly, let alone learn yeah. it at all? Right. Well, I think he was thinking maybe she learned it when she was little. And uh, it was like she'd always known it. And then she just decided to whip it out all of a gotcha. sudden. I, I do like that he was checking everything to make sure. Yeah, he was trying to fact check. You got to debunk things before. Yeah. So who is Gretchen? Who is the spirit? Who is the soul this past life coming through? Dolores. So Dolores, under hypnosis, said that her name was Gretchen Gottlieb and that she had been living with her father, Herman, who was old and he had white hair. And as she was describing her father, she kind of laughed when she was talking about him riding a horse. And her father was the mayor of Eberswald, Germany, and they lived on a street called Birkenstrasse which was very small and it was near a forest and a river and it had just a few shops like a bakery and a butcher shop and a church and a school. It was a very tiny town. And her mother was named Erica, but her mother died when she was just eight years old and she was an only child. And Gretchen also spoke of her housekeeper, Frau Schilder, who would cook and clean for the family and that Frau would also bring over her own children. There were four of them and Gretchen this past life was able to name all of the children under hypnosis and that all of these kids would play together so when Frau brought over her kids she would get to play with other kids and also 
she kind of gave some information that would suggest the sort of timeline that she was living in. So she said that she was Roman Catholic, and she also very much voiced opposition to the Protestant Reformation and Martin Luther. And she showed fear when she was talking about Bundesrat, which is a cabinet or was a cabinet in Germany from 1875 to 1900. So she must have lived during that time period, though not for long. Because Gretchen said that she got sick and that her head hurt really badly and that she died at 16 years old. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. And something that was odd about this past life regression is that there were some times when Gretchen was talking and she had known that her life had ended and she was just looking back on her previous life. But there were other times that this soul, this life, Gretchen, coming through the Dol- Dolores thought that she was living her primary life she thought that she was gretchen right now and that she was just being interviewed in her hometown and she would get nervous by the idea of her father getting upset with her if he knew that she was talking to strangers see that's what's so confusing to me right it still exists yeah because you would think that your soul would just know it's like oh yeah that happened and now we're in this life but Mm -hmm. it's like almost like fragmented pieces because it's repressed it's a repressed life which oh that's why it confuses me so yeah, so it reminds me of that. Um, oh my God, what is that show? It's so good with Jessica Biel. Sinner. The Sinner. Yeah. It's a good one. All right, so Stevenson, after getting all of this information, Dr. Stevenson hit the books and he was trying to find all the facts that backed Dolores slash Gretchen's claims. So he did find a town, but he didn't find record of her father. And that was pretty much as far as he got. So there's still some some questions. Um, Right. But there are a couple incidents that support this past life for Dolores. In 1968, so that was like one or two years before her first hypnosis session, Dolores had a dream of a young girl sitting on a horse with an older man walking beside the horse and an angry crowd was holding sticks and rocks around them. And the man grabbed the horse and quickly guided them through the crowd. And then Dolores woke up. So this dream actually directly aligns with a lot of the information and memories that were provided by this past life Gretchen. Mm. And the other incident was during a hypnosis session when Carol, her Dolores's husband, asked Gretchen, this past life of Dolores, to have a vision that Dolores could describe in English, not German. And she said that she saw herself being taken far away from the city, and she saw a man at the church and policemen moving into the crowds, and then she saw a young girl and an older man, who was presumably Gretchen and her Mm -hmm. father, who were scared, and they were running away. Oh. So even her dreams and, like, little weird instances collaborate and match up with all of these things that Gretchen was saying in German. <laughs> right. Oh, so, so Dolores st- had a past life. She had Gretchen fully emerge, and she even had a dream about it sometime before this happened, which mm-hmm. reminds me of you because you often dream <laughs> about these things or your spiritual interactions are oftentimes yes. through dreams. And so I was like, huh, I wonder how many things come through dreams and not necessarily through past life regression therapy. I wonder if people ever get stuff through dreams. And I did find a similar case. It was a woman in the UK, this British woman, and she had been terrorized by a recurring dream for some time. And she told a ton of people about it. She told several of her friends about this recurring dream. Mm -hmm. And in the dream, she was a small child and she was playing with another child. And together they fall from a high gallery (gasps) in the home and they die on a checkered black and white marble floor below terrifying so horrible dream 
But just a dream, right? No. Until sometime after, long after she told her friends, she was visiting an old house that was said to be haunted. And so she goes in on the tour. And as soon as she goes into the home, she immediately recognizes the entryway of the home. It is the exact home in her dream. And through the tour, she learned that there was a young brother and a young sister who had been playing together. And they fell to their deaths onto the checkered black and white marble floor below. Oh. Isn't that crazy? Ah, Chills. Chills. (laughs) Chills. Oh, my God. And I'm like, okay, maybe this was a past life or maybe somehow the spirit – like knew that she would come and wanted her to know what happened or maybe she absorbed the story somehow i don't know but it very well seems like it could be a past life right yeah it's fascinating like the like is it a yeah because it could yeah like you said it could also be the connection to the spirit world and those spirits knew that she would come one day and so that gave her that vision Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and it's like there are when i was looking up this stuff because, of course, when you look up reincarnation, there are so many stories right. of children who are like, oh, no, this was my life. This is what I did. This is who I am. And those are also interesting. But I wanted to focus on, like, the actual past life regression therapy because right. it's we're doing means of communication or methods of communication. Um, but, yeah, it's just so wild how much happens. And even Dr. Weiss himself, he went through and did past life regression therapy on himself. And he there was a bunch of stuff that happened. Uh, but one of the more interesting things that I thought he found out was in one of the lives, he was living in Scotland as a Catholic priest during the Middle Ages. And he was killed for teaching about forbidden subjects like reincarnation. Mm. So it's interesting He thinks that his initial reluctance to accept anything other than what was taught in schools and in science may have come from that life, from having been killed for dabbling into the subjects. But it's so interesting that his soul keeps coming back to the same thing. Like, let's keep talking about this. Which is fascinating because I don't know, like, yeah, is that true for most people? Like, do they keep going back to things that they were interested in in their past life? Yeah, I wonder. Or are they trying new things and trying to figure out who they are still? Will you be a cat lady in your next life? Probably. I'll probably be a damn cat in my next life. (laughs) But anyway, Sabrina, I think maybe you and I should do a past life regression therapy. What if we recorded it on the podcast? (gasps) Except I'm really, I want to do it, but I want the person to tell me what I said. And I'm kind of, I would be scared to listen back to the actual recording. Well, if we're both in there together, we record it. I tell you what happened. You tell me what happened. And then we'll just have everyone listen to what happened. We don't yeah, have to and listen we'll to never it. listen back to the episode. We'll just yeah. put it up and that's it. Exactly. All right. I'm kind of down. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> we are on different pages today. I don't know. I, I, yeah, that makes me nervous. Maybe. Maybe tomorrow <laughs> I'll be on a different page. Maybe. All right. So you are doing automatic writing. I am. Because, you know, there are those days that you just don't want to do homework assignments. So just... Open yourself up and let someone else do it for you. 100%. Except for it's not that easy. <laughs> you must practice. You must practice. So automatic writing, or it's also called channeled writing, it's a process where you shut off your conscious mind to allow your unconscious mind to take over your writing and then in turn allow spirits to write through you. So you basically open yourself up as a vessel for the spiritual world. For the sp- for the spiritual world. 
Yeah, so it allows you to shut off your brain and the normal chatter and constant noise inside. So think of like meditation and how you clear your mind during that so you're you're more open and connected to the spiritual world. And it's believed that anyone can do it. So you don't have to have a clear psychic ability and you could just be like, hey, I want to try talking to the other side. This is a method you can try. Uh, It's the most common form of mediumship. They, they're like some of the most interesting and intriguing cases of mediumship studied through automatic writing. Okay. So it's believed that once you establish a clear mind, a spiritual or supernatural source can arise. And there's this woman, Elizabeth Desperance, who was one of the first people who practiced it, practiced automatic writing. And she said, I first noticed a tingling, pricking, aching sensation in my arm as one feels as one strikes one's elbow. Then a numb, swollen sort of feeling which extended to my fingertips. My hand became quite cold and without sensation so that I could pinch or nip the flesh without feeling any pain. And that's when she began automatic writing. Like that's the feeling she had right before. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And a lot of critics and skeptics will say like, this is just like free writing. You're clearing your mind and just like letting your subconscious write. But... I will say, I'm not saying that I like can automatic write and I have done it, but there are a lot of times where I am writing and I've said this to you before, where I feel like it's like not coming from within me. I feel like so in a trance. Yes, you have. Do you think that you're automatic writing? I don't know. Remember I I said that before and you were like, no, I did it all myself. (laughs) Right. Well, I mean, I totally think it's me, but it also could be a past life, you know, like my past life was a writer and now I'm in tandem writing with a past life. I don't know. Man, oh man. But it does. It definitely does feel trans, transcending. Mm-hmm. So then there are cases on record. So like, screw the skeptics, right? Because there are cases on record where lost articles have been recovered by means of automatic writing. And there are foreign languages that have been forgotten and are now spoken and written th- fluently through automatic writing. And there are two beliefs of automatic writing. The first is that it's the result of idometer effect, which is a psychological phenomenon where a person makes movement unconsciously. The idea is furthered in Freudian psychology. And in this theory, he believes automatic writing is associated with self-knowledge. So basically, you can clear your mind and allow yourself to gain insight into your own subconscious. But the second belief is religious. And that's what we are talking about. And that's what we believe is happening. And not in all automatic writing, but I think there is an ability in automatic writing to access the spirit world. Mm -hmm. And there are lots of awesome examples that I'm excited to tell you. But in history, (laughs) one of the earliest examples of automatic writing is one that I actually talked about a while back on the podcast. Do you remember I was talking about John D, who was the advisor to Queen Elizabeth I? Yes, yes. He was the one who was, like, using astrology for her and everything. Right. Uh Uh-huh. But so in the 16th century, he actually wrote journals and journals of an angelic language that was given to him and written through him. It was a language called Enochian, Enochian language. And he he basically was speaking to a spirit that was speaking to him in an angelic language and then writing it through him. Uh, And then it... The, the idea of automatic writing was developed by a man, William Fletcher Barrett, who was a parapsychologist who wrote more in depth the practices of automatic writing. And he wrote that automatic messages may take place either by the writer who is passively holding a pencil on a sheet of paper or by the planchette or by a Ouija board. So you can do automatic writing through 
Ouija boards. What do you mean through Ouija boards? Like the same way, like if you're talking to a spirit in a Ouija board, they're. How do you know the difference between it being automatic writing and just a spirit writing something out? That one person suddenly gets like possessed and loses memory or something? No, I think it's saying that Ouija board communication is a form of automatic writing because it's a spirit taking control of your hand oh, oh, oh. To, to write. Okay. Mm-hmm. Got it. So you can say whatever you want, but there are actually many literary geniuses who strongly believed in automatic writing and some whose works were written through this practice. And it's been known to create works physically and mentally impossible in comparison to intellectual facilities of said person. So like a writer who has no knowledge, like you were saying, like who has no previous knowledge of a language and then in Mm -hmm. automatic writing is writing in this language. Or there's an example where, so Charles Dickens passed away and he he passed away on June 9th, 1870, and he, when he had died, he left a novel unfinished. It was called The Mystery of Edwin Drood. It was supposed to be his 15th novel, and it was supposed to be his most ambitious novel that was going to be a murder mystery, and like everyone was really excited about it. He was really excited about it. But when he had died, he had only written 22 chapters, and the ending of the book remained a complete mystery, and everyone was like, oh, we'll never know what happens. But in 1873, a man by the name of Thomas Power James, who was a printer from Vermont, Corinne, um, made contact with a spirit, not any spirit. He made contact with the spirit of Charles Dickens himself. And so according to James, he had moved into Brattleboro, Brattleboro, Vermont. Yeah, Brattleboro, Vermont. And he moved into a boarding house of a woman who was interested in spiritualism. And on November 15th, 1873, the woman invited James to take part in a seance. And according to eyewitnesses, James had reportedly gone into a trance, picked up a pen, and began to engage in automatic writing. He was writing messages from different spirits, and all of a sudden, one spirit requested a private interview with James. And the note was signed, Charles Dickens. And apparently... What? (laughs) Are you kidding me? No, I'm serious. So apparently... Charles and James have their own private little interview, and Charles tells James he was furious. He was not ready to die, and he was determined to finish his book. So, after the seance, Thomas produces these notes, which are all supposedly from Dickens, and offered, and where Dickens is like, I want you to be the vessel to finish my novel. And oh so, my god. <laughs> I can't even imagine. I know. And so, so many people were like, okay, this is BS. Like, James is just like, you know, he's just, he's lost it. But James's landlady was like, this is real. I believe in it. I believe in this. And so she provided him with free room and board until the book was finished. That's and then, really nice. <laughs> so starting on Christmas Eve, Dickens created a schedule and he was like militant about it. He told James it would begin on Christmas Eve and their sessions would continue until the book was done. So night after night, Thomas would sit alone at his desk with two pencils, a stack of sheets, And he'd slip into a trance and start writing words in a handwriting that was very different from his own. And it seemed like, so it was interesting. They were saying that the the nights that James wrote most were like nights that were like clear and the weather was perfect. But then there were nights where he would be writing and it would thunderstorm and their connection would break. So it seemed like the weather had an impact on their ability to connect to each other, which I thought was super fascinating. Yeah, that is interesting. But I guess it makes sense. All this is like so new to me. I don't even know. My mind is just like. (laughs) I guess it makes sense, though, because it's like that 
energy traveling through the air, right? So it would be interrupted by electricity and bad connections. Yeah, <laughs> bad connection. Sorry, bad connection. It's like us. Call disconnected. Always. <laughs> Seriously. So then James was just like exhausted. He was nonstop writing and Dickens like was nonstop kind of channeling through him. And so James was like exhausted. And whenever James's interest would kind of die out or if people in the public would mock him, Dickens would write notes of encouragement to James. And he would be like, you're doing great. And also all these other, I've inspired all these other ghostly writers and authors who, who now want to find their own channels to write their books. So he was basically like, James, you can do it. You've inspired so many ghostly authors. <laughs> and so people were so, so, so skeptical, skeptical of James. And he was like, they're all like, you're just being dramatic. You want all this attention, yada, yada. But their minds all changed when the book was finished and published on October 25th of 1873. It was called The Mystery of Edwin Drood by Charles Dickens as continued by Thomas J by Thomas Power James. And it became an immediate bestseller and all these publishing companies were coming to Thomas to ask him to write his own books. But he turned all of them down because he was like, I'm not a writer. And as far as I'm concerned, Charles wanted me to write this last book and that was it. I don't want to write anything else. Wow. And also, so going off what I said before this story about how like in automatic writing, it's there are writers who have zero capabilities and then write really amazing works of art through automatic writing. This is the exact example where Thomas was a shit writer on his own accord and like didn't have a great grasp on grammar of, or vocabulary. Did you just say he was a shit writer? Yes, he was. <laughs> That's his reputation. No. Shit writer. But but that's what I'm – he was before this book. And then he wrote through Charles Dickens and he wrote a masterpiece. Yeah, that's wild. Like, how do you explain that? Right. It's automatic writing. It's like Down a Dark Hall. Very – Literally so much like Down a Dark Hall. Mm -hmm. God, I love that book. <laughs> but so, okay, that's one of my favorite examples of automatic writing. But if you go to encyclopedia.com, they have like – an entire web page it probably goes for like 100 pages of examples of automatic writing wow okay well i'm gonna look this up yeah okay and then so there i'll say a few different stories there was a man named william t stead who developed the ability to receive and write messages from his friends so he'd be sitting there and he'd have like something channeled through him and it would he'd look at his piece of paper and there were all messages about his friends or like things that were happening in his friends' lives. And it was happening for 15 years. And each message he would receive, he had no prior knowledge of, but he would go to his friend and be like, is this happening to you? And they were 100% accurate. <gasps> oh my gosh. So someone was like spying and tattletaling. Right. It's a gossip, gossipy ghost. I like that. I want a gossip ghost. XOXO. XO. Gossip XO. ghost. <laughs> I also wonder if it's partially like if there's I mean, you know, like when someone you love is in trouble or you can feel that. And I wonder if it's a ghost being like your friend's in trouble. I'm going to give you this message. Yeah, that's true. Or it's just a gossip ghost. I don't know. But now I'm going to tell you the story of Helene Smith. And it is my most favorite story of automatic writing. And I'll let you figure out why. Okay. Okay. 
So Helene Smith was born Catherine Elisa Moeller on December 9th, 1861 in Martini, Martini, Switzerland. And both of her parents were Protestants, but Helene was baptized in the Catholic church. And as she grew up, she began experiencing these things that she couldn't explain. She'd have visions and messages given to her. And she soon realized that it wasn't just her imagination. In fact, it was a hereditary gift, one that her mother had passed down to her. And her mother had it and one of her brothers had it. So the, there were three of them in her family who were all mediums. And Catherine started working as a sales assistant in a silk store as she's like going through all this stuff, but she's 13 years old. But all of a sudden this man, Theodore Flournoy, Flournoy, who was a well-known parapsychologist became interested in Helene's abilities and like heard of her, heard of what she could do. And so he tells her she can retire at the age of 13. Keep in mind. And he says, quit your job and come. Let me study you. I'll give you a salary and just devote yourself to working as a medium. You don't have to work another day in your life except for just being a medium. And so she did. And together they developed Helene's abilities. And Flournoy called her a triple phenomenon. She could obtain messages in three different ways. Spirit rapping, auditory hallucinations, and automatic writing. But she also could do visual messages. So I'm going to say quadruple phenomenon. (laughs) For a while, most of her communications were from the spirit side, like trying to tell her how to treat her consultants. And like, it was like, oh, this person isn't behaving morally or like she would get messages about like the bad things happening. Mm -hmm. And she'd get messages from deceased relatives and friends. And she'd have revelations of past lives of the participants in the seance. And The messages always came with the guidance of a spirit called Leopold. So she had a spirit guide and his name was Leopold and he was her mentor. And he claimed to have been Giuseppe Balsamo, the Count Cagliostro, who was an 18th. (laughs) Yeah, that was his past life. He was an 18th century magician and occultist. And now he was Leopold, the spirit guide. So Leopold in spirit form, previously the magician, he acts as the intermediary between the spirit world and Helene. Leopold would intervene to explain obscure messages to Helene or she would help or he would help her understand how to treat her patients. Okay. And so as Helene's practices developed, she finally changed her name to Helene Smith from what was it? Catherine Elisa because they wanted to have some type of anonymity, so they changed her name. And her abilities continued to develop in various ways. She would go into trances, have hallucinations, and ha- like write automatic writing. And she'd come out of her trances with no memory of what had happened during that time. She was also given some messages from her own previous lives and would live within those narratives at times. So kind of like what you, we were talking about in your part of like she would live within her old past lives in current time. Interesting. She just kind of dip into it. Was it just while she was doing the automatic writing or was it like affecting her all the time? I don't know. I think it would happen like periodically. Like I don't think it was always at a trance, but I don't think it happened all the time. Hmm. I don't know. She said that it was a very confusing time for her. So I'm going to say that she didn't have much control over it. And Flournoy said that she had three main cycles and he called them romances. So basically like three different things that Helene focused on. There was the Hindu cycle, the royal cycle, 
and the Martian cycle. The Martian cycle? Yes, the Martian cycle. Tell me more. This is why I chose to tell you this. So she was given visions of life on the planet Mars, and the visions became physical, and she'd find herself in trance-like states, writing in a language she did not know. And the lettering had a combination of French letters and then very unknown symbols and characters, which later was believed to be the Martian language or a Martian language. But also, okay, so like similar to, we were talking about it before, about like writing in languages that you don't understand. She did that in her royal cycle and in her Martian cycle. So like in her Hindu visions, Helene claimed to be the reincarnation of an Indian princess named Simandini, who had a spouse called Suruka, and supposedly Suroka, Suruka was one of Flournoy's previous incarnations on life. So they were like in love with each other in a past life and now are working together in this life. Huh. Okay, but the Martian cycle. She got tons of different messages. They all varied, but most of them were visions of Mars. And through the visions, she would then draw the landscapes that she saw. And she would draw the beings that lived on Mars, the vegetation and other creatures. And she would draw them in detail. And they were all strange, but like very detailed. She'd go into trances where spirits would write through her. It was a strange language. And it was the language of the aliens on Mars that were communicating with her, which I'm sure there might be many other Mars languages, but that she was only Mm -hmm. getting one. And it would appear to Helene in the forms of auditory hallucinations. So like voices or conversations, and then others would be through automatic writings. So she wrote the whole Martian alphabet and she would write coherent sentences. Was it like, did any linguists study it? Like, did it make any sense? So yes, tons of linguists studied it and like some were like, this is just the French language combined with unknown characteristics, but there are others who have tried to like decipher it and who knows if it's accurate, but there have been some decipherings. Wow. She did actually receive another Martian language, which they called uh, the Ultra Martian Cycle. And it was related to visions and messages from beings that lived on a planet further away than Mars. But this language was more foul, and those beings that spoke to her were a little um, R-rated and, like, sexual when they spoke to her. Oh. Yeah, which is strange. Mars (laughs) appeared as a world populated by humanoids similar to Asian people, and they use futuristic devices such as self-powered vehicles and aircrafts. And other interesting features of Mars included dog-like creatures with heads that looked like cabbages and that would fetch objects for their masters, but also could take dictation so they could talk, which you would love, dogs that talk, Corinne. I know. I'm envisioning my life there. (laughs) And the ultra martians resembled trolls more than they did human beings so these are the martians that live from further away than mars and they had a language they looked like trolls yeah like trolls yeah i wonder if they've ever visited earth and that's how we got inspired to create trolls you know what it's very possible do you think vampires then are from like venus Okay, okay. So over time, Helene and Flournoy published a book called Des Indies a la Planet Mars, so From India to Planet Mars, and it was a remarkably successful and praised book by leading psychologists of the time, and 
William James called it the decisive step into converting cyclical research into respectable science. And there are all these details. There's one part of the book that details a seance that was held in Flournoy's study on November 2nd, 1896. And he wrote, after various characteristic symptoms of the departure from Mars, Helene went into a deep sleep. And Leopold, her spirit guide, spoke through her, informing us that she was in route towards Mars, and that once she arrived there, she understood the Martian spoken around her, although she had never learned it. They watched Smith as she was sleeping, and it became very agitated, and she would sigh and have rhythmic movements in her hand and heads, and then all of a sudden, a grotesque Martian gesture and sound came out of her. <gasps> and she would like murmur- what? I don't know. This is all written. I didn't see the words of what she was saying. But um, she murmured softly, and Leopold began describing the scene that Smith was seeing. And then all of a sudden, out of Helene says, Dode ne haudon ti mektike estanke dimi veke. Obviously, I don't know if that's pronounced correctly whatsoever. I know. It kind of sounds like Dothraki. It kind of does. But so then there was a pause in the seance, and then... SNLA returns and there's all these supernatural people coming through Helene and then all of a sudden they translate what she said and apparently what she had said was this is the house of the great man Astan whom thou hast seen so I have no idea what that means but this is all on Mars this is just like one of the many seances that were happening in the book and they're all detailed in there but like Helene basically would like disappear in these moments wow yeah she just became a complete vessel like I said, the book became very popular and people were like, this is proof of automatic writing. This is proof of other life. But unfortunately, the book began to tore Helene and Flournoy apart because Flournoy was like taking her for granted and was just like, you need to produce more and more. I need you to go back under in all these trances. And she just kept feeling like she was being used and wasn't seeing any of the money that Flournoy was making on these books. Mm-hmm. So eventually they agreed to split the money 50-50 and Helene kind of just like took her own way, like went on her own way because she was like, Flournoy, you're not treating me well. And apparently he was like spying on her and like trying to see what she was doing when he wasn't there just so he can like have more stories to tell. It was very strange. But eventually she just like went on her own way. It was just like her own like recluse life but remained spiritualist and then also continued to believe that she had been Marie Antoinette in a previous life. Ooh. So she's be a fascinating fun life. woman. Yeah. So fascinating. It, I don't know. I mean, I don't know, just to have power and be famous. <laughs> it's not a good life. It's just an interesting life, I suppose. That is automatic writing, and there are so, so, so many examples of automatic writing on the internet, but I feel like those were, like, the most exciting ones. That's super interesting. I'm I'm surprised you're not like freaking out more about the idea of being able to live a life on Mars. <laughs> well, it's not that we can, it's that there was life on Mars. Yeah, I guess the past life, which is interesting. I wonder if what that past life was saying about Mars would match up with that one boy. Remember I've referenced him before. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's this one case of this guy who was born I think in Russia. And he remembers his past life on Mars and, like, knows all of this stuff right? that he shouldn't have ever known before. I wonder if they if they had ever met, like, what would have happened in their conversations. Mm. It's almost like Andrew Basiago, too. Like, the three of them just need to get together. Everybody together. Let's do it. Also, the Bell, when we were at the Bell Witch Cave in Nashville, 
well, it's in Adams, Tennessee, but when we were in Nashville, we drove out there. Remember, we were reminded that the Bell Witch had all these premonitions and that the earth is going, life as we know it will end Mm -hmm. and that it will happen because the earth will start to heat and it will all happen very quickly, which it's happening. That means two days, three months, a hundred years, more, less. Five thousand hundred million bajillion years <laughs> wow numbers well because in relation to to, to earth, to earth to like the length yeah, yeah to what's, earth's like what's short i don't know what is short i don't know I maybe don't know. like maybe like three million years just gotta go to mars start start going now pack your bags get more candy bars <laughs> well one thing that we'll pack in our bags to mars will be our third love bras okay I've got a story to read to you. What is it? It's called, I'm my great aunt, and it makes sense. Oh. (laughs) It's from Emily. Hi, girls. First off, I'm so happy I found your podcast. I've had some experiences that have completely frightened me, but hearing your stories and stories of listeners have made me feel like I'm not so alone in this. I come from a family that really doesn't like to discuss these things, but I have a whole theory around that maybe for another time. I have a lot of ghost stories, but really I wanted to tell you about something that I've learned recently. Since I was little, I've always had a unique fear of drowning, in particular being pulled down. I know how to swim and am fine underwater for a short period of time, but once I'm under for more than 10 Mississippis, my body kicks into panic mode. I chalked it up to being some dreams that I had, When I was in elementary school, I had a series of dreams about being trapped in a car that skidded off of a bridge in the middle of winter into water. What scared me was the sense of drowning I felt, the sting of the water in my lungs. I still remember this sensation to this day. I told my parents, and they gave me some parental response, and that was that. But every time I was in my car crossing a bridge, I'd roll my windows down just in case. As I grew up, the fear started to subdue a bit. Fast forward to last month, my cousin hosts a podcast that I'll admit I don't listen to often, but (laughs) this sounds like all of my relatives. (laughs) Yep, same. But for some reason, a particular one caught my eye. They were discussing ancestry and some stories from my family's past. Turns out my Nana's mother and sister were in a terrible accident. My Nana's mom, Helen, being 18, and her sister, Evelyn, 16. They were driving along Memorial Drive in Cambridge, so this is in Boston. Mm -hmm. For those of you who are unfamiliar with that area, the road snakes along the Charles River, and in some sections, it's only feet away from the water's edge. It was early December, and in New England fashion, there was a really bad snowstorm that day. The girls were on their way to a friend's house, and Evelyn's boyfriend was driving when they hit a patch of ice, and the car went flying into the river, breaking ice and sinking. Helen was able to make it out of the water, but Evelyn and her boyfriend perished. Oh, no. It took two days for the rescue team to find the bodies. And by the time responders showed up, the ice was frozen over. Oh, my god! My body went into shock, and I just started crying. I was able to find some newspaper articles of the accident, including a picture of the car being pulled out of the water. Oh, my gosh. Seeing that image, I was flooded with emotion that I'd never felt before, sort of like deja vu. And I still cry when I think about the accident. But for Helen and the pain that she went through trying to save Evelyn, the survivor's remorse. I asked my Nana about this, and although she doesn't like talking about it, she confirmed some of the memories that I had about the accident, including Helen's attempt to save her sister. 
I plan to do past life regression to find out more. Oh my gosh. Thank you for reading. You two have really helped me embrace some of these feelings. Looking forward to telling you my ghost stories in the future. Emily. Whoa. Whoa. That, I mean, what a crazy, I mean, it's like what you were saying, just about having these dreams and feeling so connected to them and then Mm -hmm. to learn it was you. It's insane. Just wild. Ugh. Poor, that's like a traumatic past life ending too. I know. I know, but it, it like, and it so connects with the story that I was talking about. It's like the phobia, the fear of mm-hmm. drowning, of being in the water. And right. then it totally connects her vision, her memories of all of this stuff happening, her dreams of the car skidding off of the bridge, going into the water, drowning or trying to help save someone. It's all so connected and it's just so wild. And now I'm just wondering, like, if there's anything in my life that I'm afraid of and it if I could figure out why and if it's yeah if you can connect it to something and right now I can't even think of what I'm afraid of so (laughs) nothing (laughs) never being able to buy a house being a renter forever that's maybe my biggest fear at the moment (laughs) I think that's just a societal thing (laughs) yeah all right Um, what did you pick okay this is from Courtney it's called lost time and possession So just to start this off, I just wanted to say that you guys are amazing and me, my two best friends, listen to your podcast religiously. And to apologize in advance, this email is going to be kind of long. Please do not apologize. Doesn't matter. We like long emails as long as they're good. So about a year ago, my two best friends, Amber and Daria, and I had started getting into the Ouija board and the paranormal. We had all been obsessed with this prior to, but no one actually talked about it for the fear of thinking that we'd find the other to be crazy or weird. Once it was finally brought up, you can imagine our relief that we were all just as crazy as the other. So thanks to the spirits for that. So we had messed around with the board a few times and nothing spectacular happened. So it was just something that we'd bring out at parties, just the three of us, mind you, because it was fun. Well, I being the owner of said board didn't realize that my boyfriend had decided to store the board under our bed for over two months until the next time that I went looking for it to go to my next girl's night. So that night, I had arrived at Daria's house at around 7.30 p.m., and there was food and a little alcohol involved. That was the first time that I had even heard of your podcast before, actually, and we were listening to the Ouija Board Encounters episode. Everything was going great. We were having fun, lots of laughs, and a little dance party had erupted. It was a good time. But 10 p.m. rolls around, and we decided that we wanted to start talking with some spirits. So out comes the Ouija board, and the lights go out. We had candles burning and also a Himalayan salt lamp on. We sat down around the board, and Daria begins to talk. Is anyone there? The board stays still. She tries again, and still nothing. So I speak up and ask, is there anyone in this room with us? The planchette starts to move to yes. So we chalked it up to the spirit's that didn't feel like talking to Daria that night, and I led the session. It started off as usual. The questions and answers were light and all in good fun, and it was going very well, but then the mood slowly began to change. The air around us got charged, and the board started to really come to life. The planchette started moving more quickly through the words, and I started to feel more connected to it than ever before. Amber got a little uneasy, so we decided to take a break and went outside for them to have a smoke and for me to just get some air and be out of the room. That's when we noticed the time. It was 12.51 a.m. We could not have been talking to the spirit for more than 20 minutes. It seemed impossible that nearly three hours had passed. So we looked at all the clocks in the house and on our phones, and there was no mistake. That was the correct time. We all couldn't believe that we had lost so much time, but then marked it to us as just being buzzed, and maybe we didn't talk to the spirit that long. So we started a new session, hoping that we would get a different spirit this time, and 
we greeted it only to find that the same spirit had stuck around. We indulged in it. We indulged it for a few minutes and decided to say goodbye and sat back. Why did we get the same one? And why did I feel so connected to it? I glanced at my phone and did a double take. There was no way that the time I'm looking at is correct. 2.25 a.m. We were only talking to the entity for five minutes max. This was getting weird. So we decided to sage the board and planchette and also the entire house trying to get that negative energy out. Round three, we greet the board asking if anyone is there with us. I can't believe that they're doing this three times in one night. I know. That's what I'm just like. Why is there round three? I don't know. We greet the board asking if there's anyone there with us. It zips to yes. Daria is leading this session and she asks if they have a message for us. It says yes and then spells out C-O-U-R-T-N-E-Y. Courtney. The hair on the back of my neck stands up. The planchette goes speeding around the board saying that it needs me. Great. Just what I wanted. A ghost stalker. We ask (laughs) who this entity is and it spells out M-A-M-A. Mama. Which is another known name for Zozo, a well-known demon. I no longer want to continue. I want to go home and watch Disney movies and possibly sleep in my mom's bed. But then I start to feel (laughs) a warm... But then I start to feel warm and energized. My eyes start to glaze over and something seems to have taken over my body. Daria asks, what do you need with Courtney? The planchette starts to move, but before it can even spell anything out, the words start coming out of my mouth. I need her to help me complete my mission. (gasps) My friends look across to the board and ask me, what? I'm no longer in control. What is coming out of my mouth is not my words, it's mama's. In the distance, I can hear Amber calling my name over and over. Daria says to her, don't Amber, she's not there right now. Daria says, you can't have Courtney. But mama speaks and says, it's too late. I already have her. She will help me because I control her. Amber and Daria both fight with the planchette and the evil spirit, telling it to leave my body and saying goodbye for me. It felt like I was fighting my way through the fog, trying to get back to my body. I could see everything. I could hear my friends fighting for me. And finally, it let go. And I was there, breathing heavily. All of my energy was drained, and I felt like I was hit by a bus. I was weak and disoriented. What the hell just happened? We look at the time, and it was 5.48 a.m. That demon stole our entire night. Hours slipped away in the matter of minutes. Amber and I walked back to our houses, and I put the board out in the living room where I didn't touch it for months afterwards. I'm pretty sure that I am no longer possessed, but when someone is rude to me or treats me wrong, I no longer hold my tongue, and I just let my words fly. Maybe Mama has stuck around to make sure I no longer let people walk all over me, but she doesn't disrupt my life too much other than that. Anyway, ladies, don't want to take up too much more of your time. I hope you enjoyed my story. Uh, I know I did not enjoy that experience. Stay spooky, and I'll see you on the other side. XOXO, Courtney. That, okay. What's so interesting is that the feeling of when mama was taking over her was like a warm and energizing feeling but the what is what was said or like just the act of taking someone over is kind of scary very scary very very and then very she scary. felt so drained after and like wasn't able to get out so it's it's interesting that you would have such like an almost nice feeling come over you as it's happening because then i feel like you're more likely to let it happen you know, like ride the mm-hmm. wave, like, oh, I'm feeling warm, I'm feeling buzz, like whatever. Which yeah. is scary. It's very scary. I don't I don't know. I don't know. Well, it's, here's it's, here's some advice. 
the first time you do the Ouija board, that's fine. <laughs> Don't do it again, though. <laughs> 15 minutes suddenly becomes three hours. Yeah. I mean, using a Ouija board, we've said many times, can lead to horrible things, including um, some demon possessing you and wanting you to complete their mission. Yeah. I'm so curious. Well, I I don't want to be curious, but I am curious about what the mission was. I know. Maybe it was from Mars. Mission to go to Mars. <laughs> I wish, but I don't think that were the case. Wow. Well, this was scary. Informative. <laughs> you know, I don't think I want to participate in automatic rating. I'm open to the idea of past life regression. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll see. We'll see. But if you've done it, or if you have experiences with automatic writing or any type of communication with the other side, you can email us your stories at two girls, one ghost podcast at gmail.com. We also have a live show coming up. So July 14th in New York City, that's the last show we have on the books for a while. So mm -hmm. if you're around or want an excuse to go to New York, we'll see you there. Yeah, just come take a take a train from wherever you are on the East Coast and come join us. Heck yeah. And if you buy tickets and you want to send us your confirmation, we'll do a little a little giveaway. A raffle. A little raffle. A little merch giveaway. Um, and then, of course, you know the spiel. Rate and review us on iTunes. Tell everyone about us because word of mouth is huge. And also rating and reviewing helps keep us on the top charts. So that's super helpful for us because <laughs> we <laughs> want listener stories and people to listen. <laughs> Exactly. And then you can support us by buying merch or you can support us on Patreon by donating less than 25 cents an episode. What is it? It's like 13 cents per episode, basically. And you can get like fun bonus tiers and stuff. Also, I just wanted to say thank you to Eric Foster at Upfire Digital for editing our regular episodes. Thank you for listening to uh, us sneeze and cough and... <laughs> Take lose connection and... a million times and edit it all out <laughs> and we will see you on the other, other side very spooky